please stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. And this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a a still more excellent way. Father, I pray that the truths we've seen here in chapter 12 that Paul is pulling together here in this last section, Father, that we are one in Christ, that we are his body, but yet individually members, and we each have a responsibility and a role, a different way to contribute to the body. Help us, Lord, not to take our role for granted or anyone else's role, but, Father, that we would desire with earnestness to be used by you in any way that you desire. Lord, that we would remember that it is you who appoints whom you will. And, Lord, you don't do that so that your body would be weak, but you did it because you love us and you care for us and you desire that we would be strong and mighty. Lord, you did not leave us without hope. You gave us your spirit so that we could, in power, overcome our enemy, the devil. Father, I pray that that would be clear this morning in your word, that your spirit would make clear and impress in our hearts our need for your spirit to flow. Not so that we can be something or someone, but so that, Lord, your spirit would show forth what a church is about supposed to be, Lord. That we would thrive as a body, and because of that, our families would thrive, and we ourselves would walk in abundance, Lord. We thank you for this, and we trust, Lord, that your word will go forth this morning. Pray your spirit would be upon me to give me clarity and wisdom, or that your words would be all that is spoken. Prepare our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. We see a lot in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and really I see these last few verses as a culmination of what Paul has said. There's there's no accident. Paul didn't put chapter 12, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 in his letter. He just wrote a letter. Do any of you all put chapter uh, delineations in your letters? Of course, not many people write letters anymore, but... Um, Do your emails have, this is chapter 1, verse 2? No. The whole purpose was, these were added later. And the readers who decided, well, we should break this up in a chapter, is they saw that Paul was making a a point here. Sometimes chapter uh, divisions aren't all that great, because actually they they go over. But in this case, I believe it's very helpful that the chapter ends as it does because chapter 13, Paul is going to show us what that more excellent way is. But he's bringing everything he said in chapter 12 to a full end here. When he says now, so in light of everything I've said, remember that God has given the gifts What for what purpose? For the common good of every believer in the church for 
the gathered assembly of people. So in light of that, in light of the fact that we are called individually, gifted individually, but for the greater good of the church, we're one in Christ. We are to be unified while being diverse and different. God is not calling us to uniformity or to all be look like, I don't know if you've ever seen a video of a Chinese military drill or a Korean military drill. We don't really do those in the United States, but the Korean ones, it's incredible. Just people high-stepping it through the streets of Korea, I mean, and they all, you can't tell a difference between them. Why? Because that's a dictator. God is not a dictator, which is something many people want to say. They, they say God is a tyrant, but it's interesting when someone rules as a dictator or tyrant, they want people in their domain to be just like them and to all be They don't want any difference because they know that if somebody stands out, then suddenly people will be jealous and they'll want to be like that person. That person suddenly has power. And so they want everybody to be uniform. But God's not like that. God is not afraid of us being a little different. God has created us with diversity. I mean, just go out. If you ever have a chance to go to a very a bigger city, even, I mean, just go to Louisville and just see the many different types of people that you see walking the street. All different colors, languages, personalities. God created us different for a purpose, to display His glory. Some are doing it very poorly because they're not walking with God. We can't fully demonstrate that. But God desires a church that is diverse in the sense that we're not all looking alike. You know, we shouldn't all walk in and be like, oh, look, we all look identical. All the guys have the same dress and then all the women look the same. No, we we should be diverse and seeking to follow God. That's the thing about the church. The church is both community, but it's a gathering of individuals that God has given specific gifts and, and directions. So in light of that, we talked about that last week. And the fact that we suffer together. And when we see someone in the victory, we rejoice with them. And so now Paul is making it absolutely clear. He's he's ending this analogy of the body right here in in verse 27. He says, "Now you are Christ's body." This is I think overlooked often. Christ, not belonging to yourself. You belong to the body of Christ. You are Christ's body. You're not your own. Yes, you are individuals, but God sent His Son to die so that He could bring you in to His body. This was His plan from the beginning of time. To have a body like this one. I know it may shock us, God would choose a body like this? Yes. There are small gatherings of people all around the world who have decided by God's grace to follow Him. And they may not like that person before they became a Christian, but when God transformed their heart, it made them one because they are Christ's body. They have been unified with Christ. And then Paul doesn't leave it there. He's, Paul is always going back and forth. You're just like, Paul, can you just like, 
Pick one side? No. Why? Because it's not possible. Because we are individually members of it. Individually. Differently. We don't choose to be members in the sense that we go out looking for God. We know that the Bible says that none seek after God. Right? When we went through Romans. Yet here, He has called us and He looks at you when He calls you and He goes, Oh, I know what you got. I'm going to bring you into conformity with my son, but you're going to look different. Some of you may wear ties. Some of you may wear suit coats. Some of you may wear button-up shirts. But our relationship with the Lord is on an individual basis, but that isn't, that doesn't mean that we're not as a body drawn together. God has brought us together because we need one another. We will not grow outside of the church. And I know this is not popular. Especially now. Oh, I'll just sit at home on my couch and watch on TV. Or I hear many people saying, yeah, my church so in so-and-so place. I'm like, states away. <laughs> How can you have a relationship with that, or yeah, I go to church every Sunday. I'm like, have you left your couch? No. But we need to be together. We need that because God, verse twenty-eight. This is why. This is why it is so important that we realize as believers, Paul hasn't totally forgotten spiritual gifts. That whole section about unity and individuality and, and God's diversity in the church is not out of control. Paul hasn't separated it from his conversation about the spiritual gifts that are given. Why? Because he says here in verse 28, and God has appointed in the church. Not outside of the church. Not individually. You don't get gifts just because you're a lone ranger for the Lord. No. God has not, has never called us to be that way. If you look at the New Testament church, you never see someone going out on their own and God filling them with His Spirit in this way. Never. God has appointed in the church. And this is the strongest argument I have against those who say, well, I'm just going to stay at home with my family and I'm going to lead them in worship. I'm not saying that that's bad, but it's not God's will. I seek to do that with my family at night. But it is no substitute for the church that God has planted. My family isn't the body of Christ. I pray that one day they will all be a part of the body of Christ, of a local assembly, maybe here, maybe who knows where God will call them one day. But they are not the body of Christ. They are not a substitute for the body of Christ. When we decide that the church is an optional part of our lives, we decide that what God has said in His Word isn't necessary. We don't need these things. And a church is not a building you come to. It is a gathering of people who have covenanted together to serve God and to submit to the authority of the leadership of the church, which includes church discipline. And so, when Paul says, and God has appointed, he's saying two things. He's saying to the church, and it's God's appointment, it's not us. We don't go out and say, I think 
as a church, we can't just go out and say, you're, you're an apostle, you're a prophet, um, you're, you're a teacher, you're a miracle worker, you're a healer. No, the church doesn't appoint people. We don't go out and say, okay, you're a miracle worker now. Okay, start mar- uh, performing miracles. No, this is God's appointment. We recognize a gift. It's the same thing with a pastor. The church doesn't um, ordain a pastor. God does. The church just recognizes that God has given that gift to them. It should be evident to the church that someone is called to teach or to preach or any of these this list that he gives. So Paul's point is, it is God who has appointed. He said this already, right? If you've forgotten, look at verse 12 or verse 11 of chapter 12. He says, but the one and same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. This is essentially the same thing said differently. Paul wants to make it clear to the Corinthian believers and to us today through the Spirit that this is the case. It is God who has the prerogative to do this. He chooses, not us. And then he goes through this list. And some of these people... It's interesting, Paul switches halfway from people to gifts. Just pay attention. First, he says, he's appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. Now, is he putting them in a list of Value? I don't think so, honestly. I think it's a a list of authority, in a sense. Especially with Apostle being first. The Apostle was, in, in the New Testament church, was over multiple churches. I mean, Paul was going to different churches. He wasn't just in Corinth. He was dealing with Ephesus and Galatia and all these other Philippi and other churches throughout Asia that he had planted. And so he had an authority to speak to them as from God, not his own words. It's interesting, even in this book of 1 Corinthians, Paul actually says, this is not from the Lord, but this is mine. This is what I'm sharing with you. Which is really interesting when he talks about singleness. But Paul's not like, everything I say is gospel truth. Why? Because Paul knew that he wasn't infallible. That he couldn't just say anything he wanted and everyone would do that because it was full of truth. Paul understood that it is God alone who can say what he wants, and it's true. He always speaks the truth. Paul knew he wasn't perfect. Second, prophets. We've already talked about prophecy, its role in the church, that we should be desiring it. Why? But Because Paul believes that it edifies the church. And then he lists teachers. Those who teach. These are the people that we see in 1 Corinthians that God has appointed in the church. Now from here on, there are arguments about, well, is is Paul now shifting? Is he continuing the list of people? And I don't, I tend to agree with the commentators who look at the following list as gifts, not necessarily people. 
Yes, they're given to people. It's it's clear earlier on in this chapter. But when we see the word miracles, then miracles, that's what it says. It doesn't, some translations translate this miracle workers. But the word is miracles. It's actually the word power, but it the way that it's in the Greek, it actually infers power of miracles. Just like it's the same exact same word that Paul uses earlier in verse 9, I believe it is. And then he says, then gifts of healings. See, Paul is actually... He's now listing gifts that God has given the church. And these are the same thing that he's already discussed. God has appointed these men and these gifts in the church, not outside of it. Not not to the whole world. That doesn't mean that God can't use a Christian to heal a non-believer. But the gifts are specifically given to the church. And then we have two items here. Helps and administrations. There's many different translations of these. These are only used here in the whole New Testament, both of these words. But I think they're important. This word translated helps can also be translated helpful deeds. Now the question that many have is, well, is this a gift like healing and miracles? Is it, is it a, is it at the same level? Is this a spiritual gift that is given or is this a, a gift that is not quite on the spiritual level? I don't know. I'm not going to argue. I've, read both sides and views on these two gifts, and I don't think it's that important, honestly. In the sense, I do believe these gifts are important because Paul has listed them here, but it doesn't necessarily matter whether you consider them a spiritual gift or not. I kind of tend to agree that they are a spiritual gift. However, I, I'm not conclusive on it, so I'm not going to preach as though I am. So helps is this idea of being helpful, caring for one another, taking care of one another. And I would even say, when Paul goes down here shortly to do a list of Rhetorical questions with the obvious answer of no, he doesn't list this one. Which is interesting. I would tend to believe that this gift is one that should be evident in every member of the church. Now this is an opinion. But we should be seeking to help one another at all times. This is a body... Do you purposely ignore a sibling or a parent who needs help? If you do, you need to ask for repentance first. Not that you help every time, especially if that person becomes dependent. But in the church, we're a family. We are called to help one another. And so we should seek to help. So I think that one is is a a gift that should be evident at some level in all of our lives. I'm not going to explain spend a whole sermon on this one and the next one. The second one here is administrations. This word is actually really interesting because it comes and has this idea of one who is skilled to pilot a ship or a a captain someone who has the ability to steer a ship so 
way back, a long time ago, actually now, even still today, there are barges that go down the Ohio and the Mississippi, right? It's a main, sh- major shipping lane to get product like coal to, to, um, man, I can't even think, to power plants. I don't know why, why I couldn't think, but to get them to power plants, to, to wherever it's needed. And so, especially in the old days before they had GPS to keep them in the center where there's the least chance of getting, hitting a tree or a root or whatever. In the old days, the steerman or the pilot of the, the barge on his shoulders was the responsibility to make sure that that barge made it from its point of origin to its destination without damage, without losing its cargo. And so he had the responsibility of guiding the ship and keeping it afloat. And this is what this word, this word administrations is the idea that this person has through experience proven, has many proofs that they are able to skillfully guide a ship. And I believe this word actually refers, is speaking about the gifts needed for a pastor, the, an elder of the church. Because this administration is not like you're a good secretary. Not that those are needed, <laughs> but it's someone who faithfully guides the church. They're seeing the signs of the, the river as they're going down, and they see, oh, we better avoid that area because I know last time I came down this, this, this river, there was a big sandbar right there, and the water's high, but we're not going to make it over. we got to stay to the right. We need to stay on this side. Oh, oh, here we come. I know there's rapids there. It doesn't look like it, but we better go over here and go down the locks. So that's where we get this idea. And it's, like I said, it's plural, which is weird. Well, administrations. The plural gives us this, it indicates to us that this person has proofs. It's not inevident. It, it will be evident to the church that this person or people have this ability, have this gift, whether it's spiritual, spiritually given by the Holy Spirit. I don't know necessarily how, but Paul doesn't make that clear here. But it is a gift that God appoints in the church. Has given to the church. He's placed. This word appoint can also be placed in the church. And then Paul says, kinds of tongues. Or various kinds of tongues. And this is something that most people want to throw out. They're like, oh man, I wish this wasn't here. And then they try to use the next section to throw it out. So one commentator is will use this later verse 30 to try to say, well, not the speaking in tongues is not the evidence because of this verse. But I don't believe that's what Paul is referring to. So Paul has, in, in the first verse here, chapter, in verse 27, he's reiterated this concept, this view of unity, where the body of Christ and diversity, we are individually members of it. And here in verse 28, he's putting on a pedestal for us, this is God who has appointed. And this should warn us not to take for granted the gift God gives us. 
the gift he places in us, or to look at one that someone else has and be like, oh, I wish I was like them. Not that we should not earnestly seek. He's going to, he's going to encourage us that way. But we should never look down on any gift God gives us. We should be thankful. Oh, I wish it was something else. I'm praying for a greater gift that edifies a body, but I am thankful that God gave me this. Because God is the one who give it, gives, not us. We don't choose. We can cry out and pray and ask God to give it to us, but ultimately it is God who gives. So we cannot forget that it is God who appoints these things in the church. We can't forget that. It's in the church, not outside of it. Now, in verse 29 and 30, Paul sets us up. He's trying to remind us that God has appointed, yet he doesn't make all of us one thing. You remember our analogy from the battleship? Not everyone is a radar tech. Not everyone is a sonar tech. Not everyone is a captain or even a spotter. A spotter is great. You need a spotter on a battleship because if you don't, you're going to get torpedoed. These guys are so trained. Their eyes are so good at looking for torpedoes and looking for periscopes on the horizon that they can just, I mean, kind of like a hawk, a chicken hawk. They see that mouse going through the brush. It's over. Those guys, I mean, their eyes are made for that. These spotters, they've been trained. Their whole career in the military is about this. Yeah, they could become a captain one day. They may, they may be able to get to a different position, but this is their training. They have been trained and skilled, and their responsibility is to look with intentness and to warn the captain. Torpedo, blah, 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 port side. You know, pick your degree. Starboard side. I think I'm doing the right side. I don't know. <laughs> Wasn't in the Navy, but um, that being said, they had a role, just as the sonar tech. Oh, we've got we've got this guy bearing at whatever. Or the radar guy. Oh, we've got a, a bogey over here. A thousand yards, whatever. So the way that Paul constructs this in Greek is really important for us. Because when Paul says, not all are apostles... He's not assuming that the answer is yes. He is implying strongly, no. It's an affirmative or a negative no. Not all are apostles. Not all are prophets. Not all are teachers. You could just take the question off, and that's what Paul is saying. He's not expecting you to say, actually, yes. If you were reading this in the Greek and you were a Greek person in his time, you would say, obviously, Paul, you're, you're trying to get me to say no every time. And that's his point. No, not all are one thing. That, if you want to, uh, figure out the point for verse 29 and 30, that is it. Not all are the same. Right? This is going back to diversity in the church. 
confirming this diversity in roles and functions of the church. So some are apostles, some are prophets, some are teachers, some are miracle workers, work miracles. Some have the gifts of healings. Some speak in tongues. What's Paul talking about? I believe because he follows it with some interpret that Paul is speaking specifically about tongues with interpretation. The problem is most non-charismatics are so afraid of tongues that they will separate the two. They'll say, well, this speak, this is speaking about every type of tongues that are spoken of in the Bible. It's not. This, Paul is specifically talking about what he's already talked about at the beginning here at the end of, um, chapter 12 is the same thing he's been talking about the whole time. And actually when you get to chapter 14, he speaks about praying in tongues, which is never meant to be interpreted, and speaking with tongues, which is given to the church, in the church, to be interpreted for the edifying of the body. So, to those who would disagree with this view, I say, I'm sorry, but you're trying to separate these two gifts right here that are obviously, Paul puts them together in chapter 14. They're one. They both are needed. Tongues, and then the interpretation. Paul is not refusing tongues. He's refusing that they not interpret in the church and the gathering of believers. So though not all are apostles, there are some. Not all are prophets, there are some. Not all are teachers, but there are some. Not all work miracles, but there are some. Not all have the gift of healings, but some do. Not all speak in tongues with interpretation, but some do. But Paul sees for us as believers that we should be seeking these things. That's why we have verse 31. I don't know what it was like to live in the 90s. Well, I do, but not. In, in the spiritual sense, I know there was a lot of clamoring for the greater gifts in the 90s and kind of has waned. But I think from what I've heard, Many who were seeking these things were also seeking fame for themselves. It was all about, well, our church will be considered greater because we have these things. And I want to tell you, the reason Paul has chapter 13 is so we get off our high horse and we realize that it is for the glory of God and the love of one another that the gifts were given. It is not about making a name for ourselves, whether it is as a church or as individuals. It is about the glory of God, and the glory of God will only be seen if it is done in love. That's a different message. You can stew on that. You you get a whole three weeks uh, for that. But Paul says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. You know what he actually says? He says, but you all earnestly desire the greater gifts. Y'all, y'all need to earnestly desire the greater gifts. That's what he's saying. His intended audience is a plural group of you. So he's saying, church in Corinth... I want you to seek the greater gifts with earnestness, 
Strive after it. Be zealous for it. But he's not just suggesting they earnestly seek. He is commanding them to seek earnestly. He's saying, y'all need to seek. It's kind of like, sometimes I get home and I can't find something. And my wife says, well, the kids were playing with that. And I get home, I say, y'all need to earnestly seek la. The keys or whatever whatever it is. Y'all need to seek that. It's not optional. You need to find that because you were playing with that and the analogy eventually breaks down, but it's the same idea. Paul is not saying, oh, you can, you should just, you know, if you have, if you have time, maybe you should go seek, you know, they'd be okay. It'd be a good idea. It's just, you know, it'd be great. No, he's saying you need, this is necessary. This is absolutely important to you. Don't, don't just take it for granted. You need, you must, really that's why we should say, y'all must seek earnestly the greater gifts. Well, what, what does Paul mean when he says greater? Well, this word greater has been translated in other places when used as profitable gifts or useful or more excellent or of exceeding quality or more valuable. What? To whom? To whom is it greater? I think that what Paul is saying is the church. We should seek those gifts that are best for the church. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, in verse, in chapter 14, Paul starts off, he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. He doesn't say greater. It's interesting. He drops this greater gifts. He says, but especially that you may prophesy. So he's putting prophecy up there. Why? Why is prophecy to him such a big deal? Verse two, for one who seeks who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understand, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. What is he saying? This is, this is the most profitable gift that you all are ignoring in your church because you think Speaking in tongues alone without interpretation is more important. You've elevated that to such a level that you're actually not edifying anyone because no interpretation is happening. Again, this is my opinion of what Paul is saying. So please pray and ask the Lord to make it clear if that's right. And if it's not, I will, but I, I see that here. And, and so Paul is saying, Prophecy is so important because it is edifying to the church. It exhorts and it consoles all these things. It is so good for the church. And then in verse 12, he says, he says, so also you, since you are zealous, this is the same word that is translated desire. In verse 12 of chapter 14. So also since you are zealous, of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. I think Paul is giving us clarity here in verse 12. He is defining what he means by greater. What are the greater gifts? They're the gifts that the church needs the most. Now, what are those? I would say they're the ones that are missing. They're not the ones we put on a pedestal unless we don't have them. We should be seeking whatever gifts God will give and then 
we see, well, I want to prophesy. I know the importance of prophecy. Seek that. We need it. You want to see tongues and interpretation? Seek it. It's a command. It's not an option. You want to see gifts of healing in the body? Seek it. it it's needed. Our, our body needs to be edified in this way. We need words of wisdom. We need words of knowledge. We need miracles. We don't need these just so that we can become something. We need these because God intended for His church to experience these things. I remember uh, back when John was pastor, uh, a professor from Southern came. He actually ended up being one of mine. I really respect him. He he doesn't. He's skept, He's not against the gifts, but he's not all on board. And I remember him saying something, and I think it got under some people's skins. But he's right. He said, "If you believe in the gifts, you should expect them to happen." And I said, Amen! Right? We shouldn't be sitting around thinking, well, maybe they'll happen. If we believe that they're for today, we should be earnestly seeking and expect God to begin to move because these are given in the church, to the church, placed in the church for His glory. So it... Begs the question, are you, am I, seeking earnestly the spiritual gifts, the greater gifts, the gifts that build up the church? Are we walking away from the buffet table and just going back to the salad bar? How many of you all go to Golden Corral? Well, Golden Corral's quality has gone down a little bit, okay? When I was a kid, I thought they were amazing, but, um, they do have decent food. But if you go there and you say, you know what? I paid for all this. I, you know, it's, somebody takes you to Golden Corral. So for us, it, we went as a family on our 10th birthday, wherever we wanted to choose. I tried to convince my brothers to go somewhere good, but, they had been indoctrinated with Golden Corral. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, unlimited ice cream? I can't believe they would want to go to Golden Corral. <laughs> but I couldn't convince them to go to a really good place, so they always wanted to go to Golden Corral. And so we all got paid for. So we're in Golden Corral. Somebody else has paid for you to eat everything, and you say, you know what? I only want the salad. I'm telling you, the salad is not the good stuff. I like salad, but I'm, I've been in their salad bar and they might have jello on it, but that might be <laughs> the best thing over on the salad bar. Or what if you said, well, you know what? I, 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 I think I just got enough. I, they paid for me just to have the salad bar. And the, the regular menu. And you say, you know what? The dessert area, that's not for me. I, I didn't pay for that. They, no, the person, the, you don't get, you don't choose. It's open for everybody. They expect you to leave 10 pounds heavier. Well, some people. Um, but it's all there. But many people treat God's gifts as the dessert bar at a golden corral. They don't even go over there. They're like, well, I, I don't think I'm allowed to go over there. I'm not going to ask because that would be too much. I'm not, I don't want them to think I'm being presumptuous. So I'm not, I'm not going to ask them if I can have that stuff because it's just, I know we didn't pay for that. So, I'm not going to ask. Because, I mean, in my family, 
I don't ever remember getting dessert at a restaurant. There's a, there's a reason. It was probably a good thing because <laughs> I like salty things anyways. So, but we never, I mean, Golden Corral was the first time I think I ever had dessert at a restaurant other than if we went somewhere and got a cone at McDonald's or something, which, I mean, they got good cones, but we never got, it wasn't until I had money to buy my own that I realized restaurants had good desserts. I think the first time I got a dessert was at Macaroni Grill, and they had these deep-fried candy bars. Now that will set you back. <laughs> you got to go straight into a a, a carb-induced coma right there. You get you get the bread. You eat too much of the bread at Macaroni Grill, and then you eat deep-fried candy bars plus pasta or something for lunch, and you're just like, oh man, I got to find a hammock and not wake up for ten hours. But um, You know, coming from that background and going into Golden Corral, it's like, what? We can have all that? Really? Unfortunately, yes. You know, who who wants a bunch of teenagers hyped up on chocolate cake and ice cream? Or, in my case, uh, all my little kids. Shoo. I think we should avoid Golden Corral for a while. <clears throat> but, anyways... God desires for us to see the fullness of what He has. It's not that... I think some people, if they truly understood, they would desire them too, but we need to be seeking earnestly. I mean, look with me real quick at chapter 1, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says this, he says, so that you, he says, he's talking about, he says, verse, starting verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which has been given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched in Him, in everything, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You mean to tell me that Paul is telling a church that is not lacking in any gift to seek earnestly the greater gifts? Wow! How much more us? I don't think Paul is making... Oops, I forgot I wrote this to the wrong church. I should have written this to the church that's struggling. No, he's he's saying even to this church that had a great presence of God's move through His Spirit in the gifts, they too had to earnestly desire, earnestly strive after and seek the greater gifts. May we do that, not only today, but every day. When we wake up, Lord, I I want and desire with all my heart to see Your gifts flow. I want to see a healthy, thriving church. No, I don't want to see every necessarily every seat filled, but I want to see healthy people, spiritually healthy people walking with God, Yeah, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be difficulties. Just because the gifts begin to flow does not mean that it's all going to be, you know, happy days from then on, happily ever after. It's not a fantasy story. It's true life. And the difference is when the gifts are flowing in a body, yes, hard things come and go, but we have even greater ability to overcome the devil. These are things God desires for His church to have. He didn't, he didn't just 
put them out there as, oh, I thought you might like these. Now, here's a good gadget here. You might need this. No, you need these things. We need these. He has appointed these things for the church. He's placed them in the church. It's not like these spy movies where they give them all these gadgets. Oh, just in case. Because they don't know what's happening. God knows what's coming. He knows what we need. And He's appointed those things to the church. So I want to encourage you with all my heart. Dig in. Don't give up. Keep fighting and asking God to fill you afresh so that we as a body would benefit and we would grow together and just see God's move not only in this church but in the community that we live in and begin to see God bring the lost to salvation and see them built up. This should be our heart's desire. But unless we become so enamored with a specific gift, Paul says this as he closes and as I close, and I show you a still more excellent way. And a more excellent, this word way can be translated road. I'm going to show you an even better road. Not not to negate spiritual gifts, but he's saying your life should be lived in light of verse thirteen, chapter thirteen. Chapter thirteen should be your way of life, and these gifts should flow from that. So now the cliffhanger is here. You have to wait. Four Sundays, for the, till the fourth Sunday to hear this message, but so often we take this chapter 13, we love it for weddings, which it's great. It's not, I don't think it's wrong to I mean, this is what love is, but it is so important for us to understand chapter 13 in light of what Paul is has already said in chapter 12 and what he's about to say in chapter 14 so that we can truly see what Paul is saying here. So I would encourage you, Megan and I and Joe will be there for a week, but we're going to be out in Colorado for a couple weeks um, and then we'll be coming back on the third Sunday. Um, so we'll be gone for a couple weeks and I would just encourage you to to read chapter 12, 13, and 14. I don't know yet who's going to be preaching. I do know a good friend of mine um, from Southern Seminary. He's from Romania. I I have heard him preach twice, and I've been blessed every time. It just loves the Lord. I know you'll be encouraged. I think he's going to preach on my wedding anniversary, the, the 11th. Um, of April, and um, I'm excited for you all to hear him preach. Very humble guy. He's got, uh, I can't remember, four kids, four, three or four. Megan will know. But uh, anyways, um, so I want to encourage you, as it's going to be a while before I get to preach this chapter 13, to just be reading through this section and see how 13 falls into Paul's argument. Because chapter 13, I think, is the key that is missing in many people's seeking after the spiritual gifts. I really do. So let's pray and ask the Lord to quicken His Word to our hearts. Lord, we thank You that You give us Your Word. You appoint and your church, Lord, all these gifts and, and people that you've gifted because you care for us. You, you have not left us to be a barren and a weak church. Lord, you've called us 
to thrive. You've given us authority over the devil. And you say in your word that you're with us until the end of the age, that we're not alone. Lord, we need your gift in our church. We need your spirit to flow afresh. We need you to fill us daily, Lord. Give us a hunger and thirst for you. Lord, I can't think of something I long for more than to see your people, my family, my wife, myself, thriving because we're experiencing your presence in our our daily devotions, in, in our time together as a church, our conversations with one another, that we begin to see these gifts that you have described in chapter 12 to us, Lord, begin to function in our church. Lord, I, I don't know what that will be like, but I do believe, Lord, that's your heart's desire for us. Awaken in us, Lord, a deep, zealous longing for your move, we pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with us and keep us. You would guide us, Lord, and that your word would go forth from this pulpit in the next few weeks. You would continue to encourage your church. Lord, that you would bring me and my family back safely. We just pray you, Lord, for your faithfulness, and thank you for being with us in Jesus' name. Amen.